This is Who You Know. Today I bring you a conversation with my old friend Ben Terrell. We talk about uh, his coming up in New England, our meeting at the Coolidge Corner Movie House, and his uh, 30 plus years in the, the Bay Area. We had a good time, so you should as well. You're a storyteller. That's a, <laughs> that's that that's that's a, always a good one. Yeah, you know, I make shit up. Storyteller is yeah. that what people are using now? Yes. Yeah. You're... So if you're if you don't write fiction, you tell stories. Yeah. Or yeah, you're a wordsmith. Yeah. <laughs> well, those are. Yeah, I mean, that's not as bad as I think. The worst is uh, content creator. Well, or yeah. Creator or. Or creative as a noun. It's always uh, driven me yeah, crazy. Yeah, creative is uh, is one I, I, I dislike pretty. It's so vague and, you know, like, it's applied to anybody who, you know, can take a piece of clay and throw it at a wall or something. Well, wow, you're a creative. Well, also, yeah, or, yeah, that... Say you're a curator because you have three red things, you know, that you posted on some fucking website. <laughs> you know, now you're yeah, a curator. Yeah, it used to be an okay word, you know, at the bookstore. Yeah, yeah. People would come in and say it's really well curated. And I'd say, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I started saying that word every five minutes yeah. online. And I mean, Patrick, my employer, does an amazing job of organizing books and laying them out and selecting titles. So, not just by color, you know, some which I, I know, do and so I forth. Know. <laughs> but, yeah, so it used to be okay and appropriate to say it's well curated. But also, you know, every person who came into the store said that's like a little old. <laughs> <laughs> so, how's, how's your day going so far? Good. Are we recording this? Oh, Is this for posterity? Of course. Every, 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 set. yes. As as uh, as soon as as soon as you connected and were wow practicing. when I was swearing about the microphone and well, well yeah I'm, I'm going to include a whole other section about how you treat your underlings and assistants well <laughs> glad you didn't hear what the person said when I threw my latte at them I just fire one a week but you know I was telling thank you, somebody thank you earlier. sir thank you sir may I have another. <laughs> But if you fire somebody and say, I'm not paying you for this week, if you do it every week, you get a lot of free labor. <laughs> wow. So that's the, you're supposed to save secrets like this, gems, till the end for the fourth or fifth hour of this broadcast. <laughs> well, yeah. And also <laughs> yeah. as a teaser for more, that's going to be in my for amazing ne- book. And for next week. Yeah. When we resume the recording. <laughs> Yeah, I think business books and but you know the business books now are kind of, from what I can tell, looking up titles at the bookstore all the time that people request for inexplicable reasons, and then we get promo things. But people business, co- people come to the Green Arcade for business books. Well, no, people who don't know you know don't know what we're about, or they just walk by, mm. uh, or they call you know they're just calling around and they they just see bookstore and. Um, yeah, so business books are also kind of self-help books mm. and then inspirational save the world books. So it's it's a, like, you know, healing the planet by making a lot of money. And, 
then also, you know, staring at your navel while you're stealing your neighbor's wallet. You know, all this shit. That's that's called multitasking. That's called multitasking. <laughs> you can look at your navel while stealing the wallet. That's like, yeah, I mean, you should you could get an award for that, I think, by now, right? <laughs> well, our former president, we won't go there. No, no, <laughs> we, we don't need we, to. No, no, this this is a uh, yeah. We don't say that word, and uh, no. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna say his name, but I will say something that. It's all free is... publicity, I think. Yeah, no, that, I agree that's, entirely. That's my big problem with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's a really sharp, uh, well-spoken epidemiologist who has, who has a show called, uh, a podcast called uh, America Dissected, Abdul Al-Sayed, who is in city government in Detroit doing, you know, public policy, or having to do with public policy, health policy or something. So... He, he has a column he sends out every now and then. He wrote this column about how the uh, the aforementioned asshole is in the news all the time again. And he wasted the better time of four years like following all this idiocy that came out of his mouth and his, you know, fucked up typing skills and stuff. And that... Uh, He's not going to do it anymore because it has nothing of value to create opposition to that or create an alternative or whatever, yeah. you know. And it, there's nothing constructive that can be gained from it. Nope. And so I said that to my sister in recent New York Times every day, and she said, yeah, there was a article basically saying the same, editorial op-ed yeah. piece saying the same thing in the Times today, and then... Underneath it were six stories about right. the latest from the monster from Mar-a-Lago. Like, so <laughs> I thought that was kind of, but still, it's still true. Yeah. Anyway, what, what, what were we getting to? Well, this is, this is, enti- I mean, this little aside is entire, is like, that's it. You're proving the point that this guy's point, you know, is that it wastes all his time it f- for no reason except for, He's he's in your mind, or in, in you're taking other people's time by talking about him. In the yeah, so day. I just wasted like two minutes of your life doing that. Thank you. Yeah, my millions yeah. of readers will be outraged. I'm going to get so much hate mail. Do they they read your words? What do you? They read the transcription or something? Yeah. <laughs> no, they pay Listeners, somebody to yeah. transcribe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they're, Sorry. They're, actually, their assistants read uh, oh. yeah, the transcript. That yeah, another yeah, assistant me... has painstakingly <laughs> um, provided for them. So anyway, what'd you call me about? Oh, the you know the whole thing. I, I, I want to know how how this all started. This, this problem. Well, it started with Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. As the guy for the Campus Crusade for Christ. Who came around UMass Amherst once a year? Oh, he was warning you about the perils of homosexuality. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We used to have fun yelling at him. But which campus would this be? uh, UMass Amherst. Ah, yes, yes. Circa uh, between '79 and '83. That's how old I am. (laughs) But actually, I took a year off after high school, so it's not quite as old as. Oh, so 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 you're mature. You're a mature freshman. 
in, uh, in the... <laughs> oh, it's very mature. I mean, you remembered me. You met me probably four years after I pretended to graduate. You remember how mature I was by then. You, you were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well what, on my way. Yeah. Uh, to the top. So, so what did you do? You grew up. You grew up in Connecticut. Yeah, right? rural Connecticut, northwest Connecticut. Yeah. And that's where I got my taste for movies and books because both my parents were avid readers and took me to the movies all the time. Oh, that was such a cultural wasteland. You had to drive. There were, I Northwest think, Northwest Connecticut. So what would be that? Northwest corner of the state. It was called, it was, you know, very well-known metropolitan town called Cornwall. It was a title, a population of like 900 people I lived in. I lived in Cornwall Bridge, which was even small. It was a, you know, part of it. So how far would that be from from New York? Two-hour drive. Oh, it's, just, it's still a two-hour drive. Okay. Yeah, when I was a yeah. kid, when I was, it probably stopped when I was a toddler. The train tracks that went right by our house across the little road uh, in front of our house used to go into New York City. <laughs> but that's they stopped that unfortunately. So we had to drive like half an hour to get to the train, and then half an hour also to four different movie theaters in different directions. So uh, I like I like going for walks in the woods and shit. But I, you know, it's, aside from that, I was like, get me the fuck to New York City. From and, the time I was like four years old. <laughs> and you had uh, you have sisters, right? Or yeah, I have two older sisters. One of them is seventeen years older than me. Ah, hence I was probably a surprise, as they say, you were to oop, my parents. You were a whoops, oops baby. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> I never heard that. That's the that's the term I think. That's what uh, my my baby brother's eighteen years younger, Max. Whoops, an whoops. oops baby. Yeah, yeah. I also probably. <laughs> I, you know, like one of the last hurrahs, but I like to think a pleasant surprise. I, I never, I saw my, this is going to be really interesting because this is getting into the tell all part. Yeah. I saw my, uh, I saw my parents uh, do a perfunctory Chris, kiss at Christmas when I was like five, but I think it was mostly for my benefit. It was outside. Mm. It was like, <laughs> it's like barely on the cheek. So. But they were... I know everybody wants to see their parents get hot and heavy, but, you know, it didn't happen for me. But they were still together, or they were living together? Yeah, they lived together. I heard later that same sister who lived in New York City, who was 17 years older, said it was... Uh, they thought for this for my sake they would stay together. I was like, gee, thanks. That was great. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be a very common mistake that parents make. Parents that no longer can stand... Yeah, they really couldn't stand each other. Like he, oh yeah, oh really. And he yeah. moved out in high school essentially, and oh. he had, uh, I wouldn't say a mistress. He like, was, yeah. you was know, a had girlfriend. another yeah. woman, girlfriend, yeah. woman, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, sorry, no, he lava. But you know, my mom didn't care. I mean, it was yeah. like what you know, it was like it wasn't even a secret or anything. Sure. But they, but so they finally got divorced when I was a junior in high school, and then I moved. I followed. I went with mom because dad was never, he didn't do any of the work of parenting. I mean, uh -huh. he was a great person in a lot of ways, but he didn't do any of the work of parenting except take me to the movies. Yeah. He was up in his studio writing mysteries with no phone. And of course, in those days, luckily for them, they had no email or computer. But uh, 
but she did the hard work. So she moved to Boston. I was like, Boston. Yeah. And it was, uh, when, when, um, and when would it that was, be, uh, when you were in high uh, school? 1990, or... 1977. Yeah, after junior high school, summer before senior year. But it was Belmont, Massachusetts. Sure, so yeah. on the map, it's like my sister, my other sister went to Radcliffe. And your other sister is closer in age to you? or She's eight years older. Oh, so when I was a, 10 or something and around there, I went up to... Harvard Square, Cambridge, which is, as you know, more uh, uh, cosmopolitan. And in, in the early 70s, it was like rep cinema all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, end of the 60s. It's more and... cosmopolitan than Belmont. That's for... But Belmont, yeah, it borders <laughs> yeah. it. And there yeah, were people in yeah. Belmont who had never been to Cambridge or Harvard yeah, yeah, Square. Yeah. And first day of high school, I go in, and right next to the high school is the world headquarters of the John Birch Society. Really? Which, if your listeners don't know anything about, they might want to, uh, and they're really interested in reading up on right-wing movements. They yeah, were like in if, the if forefront. If you want to circle back to, to the monster from Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, the, totally. The, the roots of some of those ideas, that would yeah. be a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and I had I long really... hair, and I was like, there was yeah. one other kid with long hair. I was like, really? Yeah. And these kids, like, I rode my bike to school and I left it there locked up and forgot about it because I had to go to the movies as usual. I had mm -hmm. a job in a movie theater. That was the only good thing about that year. And um, <clears throat> that my bike got totally trashed. Like, I couldn't even... Oh, um, because they knew you were like a long hair? Like yeah, yeah, and I was an outsider, you know, yeah. even though I was white, you know, which, uh, but uh, they just smashed the shit out of it. Like, you couldn't... The wheels wouldn't work. And so... This kid came up to me who was shorter than me, but looked like he'd kissed the subway coming at him a few too many times. <laughs> and he said, uh, he had a greasy leather jacket. He goes, how's your bike? And, oh, and there, <laughs> so wouldn't it, he would kill me in a one-on-one -on -one fight, undoubtedly. And this would be, was, you said 1977? Yeah, yeah. But he also had, there were four or five, of his scuzzy friends like lurking on the edges so yeah it wouldn't even be a one-on-one -on -one fight so i just like turned around i didn't even say anything about that i was not much of a street fighter coming other oh, oh so if yeah if he was alone you would have beaten him to a pulp right oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i could have <laughs> taken him <laughs> no i mean and, the one thing i had a you know in in my the the ridiculous regional high school where i went to school earlier in the country this kid came down who was equally like greasy redneck shoved me into my locker and i went motherfucker and he turned around and he said what'd you say and i said i didn't say anything <laughs> like what the fuck my whole life that's why i hate football so much because i though my whole life was running from or avoiding or pretending to be invisible in front of oh. people like that including football players so right and, all and very interesting for your listeners i'm sure they're fat they're well yeah they're their assistants are feverishly transcribing this <laughs> as we speak yeah uh what uh which which movie theater were you working at uh then w when you got your bike trashed um 
first was, I don't know if it closed before your time, because you're obviously 10 years younger than me. Everybody knows that from Wikipedia. Uh, but um, at, Everybody's at least 10 years younger than you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Even Bernie <laughs> no, no, Sanders, no, so... he's 20 years younger than me. No, uh, uh, and Joe Biden, too, he's younger. Um, um, it was the Har uh, not the Harvest Square Theater, the Central Cinema, which so... was... Where kind of a shipbox architecturally. I mean, it wasn't even, you wouldn't even use that word. It was two theaters uh -huh. side by side. It had never been like a movie palace or anything, yeah. but I'd be interested in looking at the history of it. Because uh, you remember Harry, that's where I met Harry Friedman, who you mm -hmm. knew from the cool Sure, yeah. The projectionist, but, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I got a job there best thing i did in my senior i think right away like before school and they had that's i had already seen a ton of gangster movies growing up because i was a movie addict and my because your dad dad yeah my dad well not too. just my dad but just yeah he liked bogart and uh and so it's mostly bogart and that's James, what that's James where your Craig. your your noir condition began <laughs> the noir yeah problem. i mean well and then um <laughs> But they actually, I was going to use that uh, much abused term, film noir. Uh, uh, they showed all these obscure film noirs in one theater. And then they'd have, in those days, there were a lot of international movies that made it onto the U.S. market. And there were art film theaters. And it wasn't exactly all art film, but it was rep. And they would have some new film. So is this... Like, this is not the Orson Welles, though. No, no, no. Okay, because that's in Central, <laughs> it was down, I mean, it Central was in, Square. That, that yeah. I remember. I remember going to the Orson Welles. Did you ever go to the Central Cinema? I, I don't. I, that's why I, I don't. Where yeah. was it? It was at the uh, MIT end of Central Square on Mass Ave. Oh. As, you know, you remember that street that that horrific, yuppie place Night Stage was on? You mean White Stage? White Stage, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Not to be confused with the band White Snake, which is a yeah. different genre. Yeah, that's that's a place I didn't go to see Screaming uh, Jay Hawkins, but should have. Oh, wow. But I did go see John Cale, which was amazing. He played at Night Stage? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, mostly solo, like on, on the piano. I think he, he, he must have had a couple of backup people, but it was it was amazing. Yeah. Oh wow! That's the only thing I remember seeing at Night Stage, but because I saw some good music there, but it was really annoying. I yeah, mean, white, white Stage. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's you know what? Before <laughs> it was Night Stage, uh -huh. I think I yeah, it was before it was Night Stage. I did see some. It had all these punk bands going back to the '70s, including I had friends. In fact, I'm still vaguely in touch with a friend who's somewhere in fucking Florida. Poor bastard. Now, um. <laughs> who saw the Ramones there the first time they came to Boston. Ah. It was called The Club. Oh, okay. No, and I, I still but... have a bootleg of that show. It was like, you know, they did their first album. But yeah, the Central Square Cinema doesn't ring a bell. It must have closed. Yeah, I mean, anyway, it was, off that, yeah. it was at the corner of Mass Ave and that street that went down to them. Yeah, I think it closed, like, must have been 1980-81. And then after that, I got a job at the Harvard Square Theater, before the you know an old decrepit movie palace before, before it split they, up into a into yeah. a multiplex yeah yeah before they fucked up the balcony and i could go it was great you know i could go in when i wasn't working and they would 
the balcony wouldn't be open unless it was a big event. And they did have concerts there too. But generally the balcony wasn't open. So I would go to a matinee on my day off or even immediately after getting out of that the institution known as Belmont High School. And I do mean institution. <clears throat> and you know, you in the front row there were these wicker chairs. Uh-huh. So I saw it was like the front row of the uh, Coolish Corner movie house, you know, it was like a balcony. And so guess what I didn't do in high school? What? Go ahead, guess. Homework. My oh. mom would say, Did you do all your homework? I'd say I'd be on the way out the door and go, <laughs> <laughs> And what was but yeah, before I forget, what was her uh, reasoning for moving to Belmont? Was there a job or somebody she knew there? Or... Uh, well, you know, she actually um, um, spent part of her childhood in Cambridge. Her oh, okay. family so from came the from okay. the area, yeah. Okay, so um, that was why she moved there. And uh, part of the reason, and my my sister, who, who was eight years older than me, still lived there in that in cambridge actually or somerville maybe but they she and her husband rather quickly moved to los angeles he got a job teaching out there um okay but so she moved up there uh she wasn't happy in this small dinky town she was depressed and Mm -hmm. you know didn't have that many friends and stuff so she just started again at age what would it be uh 62 i guess god she was younger then than i am now it's embarrassing um no wait yeah like 62 ish yeah and she uh <clears throat> by the way i'm just kidding i'm not older than 62 yeah. i was born in 1980 like you for no i was not yeah. born in 1980 i know but, but we can pretend <laughs> yeah. it's so pathetic pretending to be younger i like to make a joke yeah, out of it. yeah I, it, I, re- I actually don't give it a is shit. pathetic uh, i don't give a shit at all no one of my fun one of the funnest games is to get young people to try guess how old i am and they they just never get it right they think I'm, you're younger yeah yeah Generally, yeah, people do that with they me. Do. Uh, people do that with Which me. is sort of flattering. I don't really care. It's just funny. I, I guess, I mean, I think it's normal for most people to just assume everybody is more or less their age. <laughs> oh, you think so? Yeah, I yeah. think so, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I mean, the unless, default, yeah. Unless they look like most people who are my age. It's <laughs> funny, my dad, <clears throat> when my dad was 90, people thought he was 75. And, you know, like... Yeah, I just looked it up, actually, before we came on, how... Your dad lived a long ass time. <laughs> yeah, he was ninety four. Wow. How did he? Did end... you? Where'd you read? What'd you read? Did you read that blog spot? The rap sheet article about him, where he interviewed the guy interviewed me. No, no. Uh, I th- I think I think I just looked. Uh, I'm, I mostly looked at uh, image searches for the the covers of some of his books, which are pretty <laughs> great. Yeah, they're and really there's, great. And just the the little blurb <clears throat> in the on the Goodreads page. Has, it, it was probably like cut and pasted from somewhere. Uh, oh, undoubtedly. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, no, but it had the dates. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, how did he end up in the in Cornwall? Well, in the fifties, you know, they both met in New York. Oh, they did. Okay. <clears throat> working in, <clears throat> they were both born in 1915, and they they met working in the Time Life Empire, in the Time Life Building, I think. Oh. Okay. And, 
and they you know they were both he went to harvard and mom went to smith and uh so he was the editor of the harvard lampoon that was one of his claims to fame for a couple of years i think <clears throat> anyway they they met they both were writers for a time dad was called a writer and women were called researchers even oh, though they wrote yeah. as much as the men sure and generally they didn't get bylines i don't think yeah but so one of the reasons I really like both the book, The Big Clock by Kenneth Fearing, who also worked in that mm. building, uh, and the movie that was made from it, is that it totally vilifies Henry Luce, who mm. owned that empire, who is, He's the top, by the way, a big fan guy. of Mussolini. Yeah. yeah, he was the top guy. People forget that fucker. I mean, he was almost as bad as Henry Ford, if not as bad. Yeah, well, most of those captains of industry yeah, were super pro-Nazi, you know, if nothing or else. Or they didn't want to jump to conclusions or something, or like, yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. Had all I these, mean, they're still making money off They had the all Germans. these fucking business deals, yeah. But they, <clears throat> yeah, that's yeah, right. You know. That's right. Well, also, <laughs> fascism was appealing because it, you know, clearly solidified the power of big business that was part of the yeah. thing with fascism i remember at some point there was a, like one of those brilliant off-the-cuff moments from uh, george w bush's tenure where he joked about how much easier it would be to, to do his job without like you know this democracy or something like that yeah 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 oh yeah <laughs> he was a nut <laughs> <laughs> guy did great stand-up yeah <clears throat> Lovable grandpa now because he does uh, shitty paintings. So because people... he does shitty paintings, and, <clears throat> and, and he, he's he... not the beast from Mar-a-Lago, so everybody forgets about the Iraq War. You know, minor. Detail. Yeah, everybody forgets like, that he, he he's got like a million dead on his head at least. Yeah, totally, yeah. exactly. Because because he's more personable uh, to somebody. Uh, to not, somebody, not to, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I don't, that's that. Yeah. I don't remember him being so personable, but no. Uh, no, it's I mean, really it was a, weird, uh... a fake cowboy, like a, a, a from the Northeast, you know, like with a cowboy hat on, and you know, the fuck up kid of a of a spook, a real yeah, spook. Yeah, I mean, and uh, yeah, I liked. Uh, I mean, the way political satire plays out in this country is often, you know, people just preaching the converted and patting themselves on the back and sm being smug. But I really liked uh, Will Ferrell's impressions of uh george w bush which you can still find on youtube that were on saturday Night Live, oh where yeah, does, okay, yeah where he talks about global warming it's like a psa about global warming and they keep going take two take three yeah <laughs> yeah anyway so so they so your parents met uh working in the time life uh building yeah uh, did did your mom did your mom want want to be or was she a writer as well yeah she was okay. yeah okay. yeah i mean she had projects that she worked on forever that uh you know she was raising four kids she did all the right. work so it's not sure. like she had a lot of time you know i mean he had that he was like up in his studio and she told me once that when they got married they moved out to connecticut and i don't know uh early 50s and he got a house uh because he got a really good loan on the G, uh, via the GI Bill. Oh, he he'd been in, he'd been in. The yeah, war. he was in World War Two. In fact, one of his II. first okay, books yeah. is described as his first novel. But in fact, he'd written two really good mysteries earlier, mm -hmm. like standalone mysteries. Yeah. 
that are more like crime novels. And uh, his first book was a novel. And yes, sorry, there I go doing it. His first, <laughs> you know, legitimate mainstream. He, right. he was like an attempt at, it was a kind of like literary novel, but it went nowhere. And so then he had to start doing just mysteries. But it was about his experiences in World War II. He was part of a, I don't know what you would call it, unit platoon or whatever division or whatever the fuck it was that liberated an especially notorious concentration camp. It was a work camp. Mm. So fewer people survived there because they, they sent political people there and worked them to death. It was a quarry. And the book is called The Steps of the Quarry, mm. which I really like. I was just rereading it again, and then I got sidetracked by... 10 other books um and all your or uh, your commitment publicity commitments such as this oh yeah yeah oh the that... pr blitz never stops for my magazine <laughs> yeah. namaste motherfucker which yeah. you can find at benterrell.com benterrell.com yeah yeah i've got a link to the green arcade which should by the time I'll, this I'll, goes I'll, up, I'll splice in this psa every 15 or 20 that would you know, be minutes. great uh, right. get yours beat now so you don't forget order before midnight tonight yeah. operator so, standing by operator standing by exactly. and you get you get a second set of ginsu knives if you act now yeah yeah, yeah you do <laughs> i forgot about that thank you but wait there's more <laughs> <laughs> but wait there's more uh so yeah it's so, a fit we're affiliated with ronco terrell yeah. Corp. Yep, yeah, yeah. the pocket fisherman, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ron Popeil, yeah, he died. He died not very long ago. Ron Popeil, like in the last few years. Was he the Ronco guy? Yeah, Ronco is Ron Pope. Yeah. That was oh, a, I didn't know that. Like Ron, yeah, he had all those like the useless gadgets. Yeah, Ron Popeil, yeah. Did he do the Bassomatic that Dan, Dan Aykroyd was? Well, that's the story? pocket fisherman is what they're making fun yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is the bassomatic? Yeah. <laughs> mm, good bass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was a TV. He was one of the pioneer TV pitchmen. Yeah. Mm. So, so you're uh, you're rereading your dad's account, sort of like fictionalized account of his experiences in World War II. Well, I I was, and then I got, so you know, I do these. Uh, you know, I as I'm sure all your listeners are aware, I write. Um, pieces uh that are uh about political books i mean some people would call them reviews that would have been a better word no sometimes essays about a bunch of books. some people who's whose political, belie who political <laughs> beliefs are suspect <laughs> yeah exactly some fellow traveler some fellow whatever <clears throat> on the wrong side of history i love yeah. that term <laughs> Get on the right side of history. What the fuck are you talking about? That makes no sense. Straighten but up. No, I, right. I write. Yeah. <laughs> I write. Stop talking. This is about me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> but since I started saying it, yeah, I write for Counterpunch and then I write the online magazine and then I write for Noir City magazine. So it's either film or book pieces, but because I'm such an astute. Uh, money maker mm -hmm. i'll get paid a couple hundred bucks and so i get immersed in shit and then i read like 10 books so yes. then i don't read other things and then i'm i'm, I'm familiar with with this it's right, this it's right an now. even better uh hourly wage than you made on your 
worst weeks driving cab. It's like, I don't know, it comes out to about 25 cents an hour or something. I don't know. I would not do the math. Yeah. <laughs> you still get you still have little gigs for the chicago reader right yes yeah yeah, yeah I, I write for the reader and sometimes i've just started writing art reviews for freeze magazine which is is like that a, a chicago magazine no freeze is in like an international art magazine oh nice. they put on like those the some of those uh art fairs for the rich mega rich this this <laughs> one of the editors like in dubai or something or uh they're, I mean, they're all over the place. Like, if you look them up, it's free. It's freeze, as in like a F R I E Z E. Oh, yeah. Not, not like freeze die come to life. Not uh, like the guy from Batman. Yeah, yeah. They were not your <laughs> one of your super, the from the multiverse or whatever the fuck they call it. Yeah. Um, God, God save us. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, no, no. This this editor found me from something I wrote in the reader, and she hired. Hired me at a rate double the readers, which is not really as impressive as it might be for sound. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. To, yeah. to review a show in a good. blue in a blue chip Chicago gallery of this guy who had just been at, at, in the Whitney Biennial, and whose yeah. paintings are now going, or at least the gallery was hoping to sell them for about half a million each. <clears throat> seems seems reasonable. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anything I'd like to buy that you saw? There was a couple, yeah. I, I, I told him that they'll be in touch. <laughs> He'll be getting an invoice. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Um, At least they pay something. No, no, they do. It's fine. But, I mean, the thing about it is that there are certain things like discussing the price of these paintings that I can't really write about in this magazine because this magazine is for those people. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you no. Can't like, they, they, they wouldn't understand why. <laughs> I would question why, uh, yeah, you know, a geometric abstraction in two shades of black uh, <laughs> is worth half a million dollars. Uh, uh, but I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's parking uh, ill-gotten gains, pal. Yeah. That's what it's about, probably, mostly, right? Who the fuck knows what it's about? I mean, a lot of it, in this guy's case, he's at least he's not some fucking kid. This is a, a like, a I think a guy in his 70s, a black guy, mm. who paid it. He's been, like, sort of under the radar, flying under the radar in New York for decades. Mm. And suddenly he has gotten famous because because of the Whitney Biennial. Or, or oh, yeah, yeah. His high profile was raised I substantially if I saw that was it i was in new york i saw that there was a, in 2021 but i think that was it uh what's his name uh his name is james little and uh, he does these kind of uh, he, i think they're called black stars that's the series oh. that uh -huh, came to uh -huh. fame and they're i mean they're fine you know they're <clears throat> they're these kind of star shapes in in matte and glossy black paint mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh but from the titles, you know that there's, at least he believes that there's all this uh, subtext or content in them. Yeah. Or what have you. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. My, th th this is this is a, a, an art world that I have very little actual contact with, except for when a magazine like this hires me to write a mm -hmm. review. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I, I do my best to, to be, to, to not push as much personal feelings into it as i could you know so you don't actually 
when you bite the hand that feeds you don't actually draw blood yeah yeah it's, <laughs> yeah kind of I kind of, Probably yeah, gut, I, I, I gum the hand with my, <laughs> take out the dentures first and, and, and gum the hand gently, yeah. Well, I know nothing about that stuff, <clears throat> but I always think of the line that, um, from Fran Lebowitz on uh, Pretend It's a City, where she was referring to art in New York, and she said, when I moved to New York in the 70s, Mm-hmm. It was called the art world. Now it's called the art market. Sure. <laughs> and then she doesn't have to say anything else. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's I mean basically it's a place for very very wealthy people to hide from the tax man. Yeah, 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 right. Really, right, right. that's I mean as far as I can tell that's what it really boils down to. Uh but in any case, yeah, that, so this is this is a new uh, yet another side gig. Uh <clears throat> Uh, that I have. Uh. <laughs> but whatever you can do to like not have to do just bartending or drive. I mean, I, I know you're yeah. not going to drive again, but well, that's that, <clears throat> that's that's exactly the metric I use. Like when I get bitter or angry about whatever dumb thing I have to write yeah. is, well, is this better than <clears throat> driving a cab? Yes, and the all the answer is always yes. Well, also it's not you know I, I read I really like the Baffler magazine. I, you know, I don't like every single article every time, but I still read it cover. It's the only magazine I think I read cover to cover. Mm. <clears throat> and um, and I get quite a few publications in the mail because I'm old school and old. But uh, anyway, he, uh, there's a guy who I really like. He writes from a journalist named Jason Silverman. He wrote a book called Terms of Service about, mm. you know, the scams in fine print. Oh, yeah, the small yeah, <clears throat> And other the things. And yeah. it's just brilliant. He's just a really good, uh, hardworking, shoe-leather reporter, but he's also really funny and smart and doesn't, you know, use platitudes and, you know, wouldn't be appropriate for the New York Times, etc. Mm. But he wrote a piece and, but, you know... He has a wife and kid, you know, which I never had a dependent, so I didn't have to worry about that. But <clears throat> he has a wife and kid, so, you know, freelancers, for various reasons we go on and on, there's so many factors, and it gets worse and worse all the time. And, you know, AI is, I'm sure, already not helping, obviously, but we don't need to talk about that bot. I can't even think about it. But <clears throat> he, um, I mean, this is a couple of years ago. He was writing about doing sponsored content and i know somebody else who did this yes. who worked for conde nast and got these jobs and i would kill myself if i had to do that one that stuff because mm. it's like fake but he had no i you know i don't i don't um judge him at all but that it's just the way it is that uh you know there are very few newspapers i mean there's what three left or something yeah. <clears throat> but um slight exaggeration but not by much but and so you know his skills are as a writer and that's what he wants to do so he had to do it for a while and at least he got this great piece out of it yeah uh, which uh, is look, good yeah people have to do all kinds of things i've you know a lot of friends in the music world uh, this one friend he's he's been in bands some of them you know pretty well regarded bands he's toured the whole world mm. and his day job these days is writing ad copy for a hearing aid company 
Nah. Like this is the job that he's doing, you know. I ra- could actually I rather could maybe than handle bartend- that more rather than, than bartending. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the last thing he <clears throat> he couldn't yeah. deal with anymore was bartending, you know. Yeah, my girlfriend used to copy edit at Macy's. Mm-hmm. She did these things. Uh, she's on disability because she 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 like she sort of loves copy editing. I mean, I do too, actually, because I'm weird, but. Um, she wouldn't take the breaks that you need to avoid getting damaged to your wrists and mm. hands and stuff and tendons. And so, Oh, she's got like carpal know. tunnel or something. Like <laughs> yeah. That. It's yeah. beyond, it's kind of oh, beyond like, carpal oh, tunnel. Okay. So she's on disability now, but, uh, she, um, she would do things like she did this thing where, oh God, well, if you, if you have me on, maybe I can, uh, again, or like, I don't want to be presumptuous. I could just send you a next week when we when we resume email this with actual details. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she did something where she used the first. The, she did. Uh, she was copy editing ad copy, and she just made these suggestions. And every l- first letter of this line, if you put them together as you're scrolling down, mm-hmm. spell. It was something like I don't know. It was some potentially dangerous thing and it spelled out certain death or something like that but so but she (laughs) she you know she was able to pay her bills and stuff blah 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 i don't know what the point of this is i'll stop now (laughs) (laughs) oh no no the 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 weird jobs that people have to resort yeah 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 yeah. that's just the way it is i worked as a temp throughout the 90s yeah oh in in uh in san francisco already yeah at uh The the two most famous were Charles Schwab and Wells Fargo. So oh, you know, yeah. I've heard of those. I was um, in. It was pre digital. I was working in the uh, <laughs> total bottom. The good thing it's like washing dishes. You're at the bottom of the yeah, yeah. ladder, so you kind of like get away with shit that other people don't get. You know, like I they would come over with work for me yeah. to do, and I'd be sort of like, you're interrupting. Hello? a Chomsky speech I have on tape that I really want to listen to. Yeah. And uh, micro filing microfilm and microfiche. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend, a classmate from art school, and he graduated the same year as me in 1993. And since then, I think, I think practically since then, he got this job updating uh, like logbook in law offices these like all this paper uh, that is generated yeah my he, nephew did that he's still at it it's this thing they they're still generating paper it's insane this is now 30, oh in the digital era they still that's interesting this is now 30 years later he's still doing this job he's not he's a like an avid bicyclist uh-huh. he, so he rides his bike everywhere he rides from off these off downtown offices you know and he's and he's off I think well, do they send paper back and forth? You yeah. Mean, or that? They... Yeah, oh, gi- really? these giant books have to keep being wow. updated as the, whatever the proceedings are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're still generating paper. That. It's so insane. Yeah. That you'd think that like this well, is well def- one thing about thing that. that yeah, one thing about that. For, you know? That that question is that uh, you know my my old dentist assistant. I mean, the woman, the woman who ran his office mm-hmm. had this massive paper file. And she said, this is, there's all this personal information. Everything can be hacked. 
Yeah. So I wonder if that's part of the, I mean, I assume that's part of why legal people would do that. I mean, everything can be hacked. So. Yeah. And, well, they could just, they could do it the old, fa- you know, like they could do it uh, the old fashioned way and break into the fucking office and take the files. Like, like in every other detective novel and or movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And then there'd be better theme music too. True. Uh, there's nothing less interesting than on seeing a movie as people typing on a fucking screen. Yeah, although uh, War Games was really good. I'm just kidding. I only saw the preview. <laughs> now, I, I love watching, you know, like not entire features, but previews or clips of those 70s or early 80s movies where yeah. some hacker is oh, the beginning bashing of the away. Age, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> we're so much more sophisticated now that so, we have super fast everything and our world is so much better i, I know mean, you know that like it's so far, much better it is onwards and upwards yeah. Let, yeah let a thousand flowers bloom yeah yeah looking forward to the singularity do you know about that <laughs> yeah the, you know the, that the, term the, the vanishing point yeah uh I, I, I vague, vaguely do. Yeah, uh, these I, titans of tech yeah. are really into it. It's as crazy yeah. as Scientology. Yeah. but Right. But it's speaking of not wanting to get old, these people actually think that they can do this stupid... They actually this term life hacking, right? They do yeah. all this stupid sure, shit yeah. for, to long, lengthen their life, and they think that eventually... I mean, I think Steve Jobs was the first idiot to espouse this Is idea. Steve Jobs frozen? Cryogenic? Does he have? Or did, I hope not. They I mean, say, like he... like you know they saved Hitler's brain style or whatever like the way they do that. He might be. Yeah, yeah he I bet be. he is. But they they're gonna merge, uh, human and artificial intelligence, and it's right. they don't use the term, but it's eventually yeah. So like you're a brain super in, race, yeah, or but basically super race. A brain and in guess a jar, who's yeah. gonna be at the top? Yeah, like that's right, Elon Musk. Really? What? Yeah, yeah. it's really stupid. Yeah. But uh, it's incredible because I. I mean, it's to me, it's as it's not as con, quite as convoluted and with as many ridiculous, insane permutations. But it's kind of like QAnon; it's so delusional. But then again, Jesus Christ coming back from the what, dead and wafers. What do you mean that that well. that pizza restaurant definitely had a basement? What are you talking? Did about? it really? <laughs> is that true? That's one of the big proofs of uh, again. The thing is about QAnon is they talk yeah, about... Yeah, I know. I just read two books on QAnon. That's how crazy I am. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, I looked You're at committed. one. I'm like, I'm not going should, anywhere you, near you, that. You should be committed. <laughs> Probably. Um, no, what, what was that? Um, shit. Oh, oh, I was going to ask uh, back to the to the great timeline. So your, your dad bought this got the a uh, good loan because of uh the gi bill probably yeah or? that's yeah. right yeah, yeah right and that's why and I... back then a uh, real estate was affordable it wasn't controlled by giant hedge funds or you know what a black rock that's not a hedge fund uh <laughs> i forget what they're called <laughs> this you know company BlackRock controls some yeah. enormous amount of the real estate in the u.s anyway what was your question <laughs> <laughs> so he he, he... <clears throat> He wanted to, and the idea was, so he, he got this house in a little town so he could afford to just be a writer. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. raise a family. <clears throat> and back that then was, you could do it. Yeah. He had a, I mean, he and my friend Eric Drucker, probably you're in that category too, actually, or the only people I've met with the that level work ethic. I mean, Eric just works all the time. You know, the 
my friend he does the world famous covers of namaste motherfucker yes. he's also known you know he works for this obscure magazine called namaste motherfucker available at your newsstand <laughs> product place sorry yeah. sorry you don't know what a newsstand is but were there a newsstand it would be available at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, the new yorker you know nobody's heard of that but he does covers for them too <laughs> but and, my dad just worked all day but he, uh, he's, my, he slums it with the New Yorker, just so he for the chance to do Namaste motherfucker covers. Yeah, so he could do cutting edge radical stuff because he's really political. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a was I mean, uh, I mean you, you you said that you know your your mom after a certain point was or did not like being in this little town. Did your dad like it there? Do you yeah, think? he stayed there. <clears throat> he had this active social life and. Oh, okay. He went out to there. It was interesting, you know. There was this divide between local people who lived there forever and were kind of country bumpkins and New Yorkers who yeah. spent weekends there. So there's some resentment, some friction. Yeah, there's some resentment. resentment yeah. But you look in retrospect, the divisions were you know, the New Yorkers didn't really have that much money. Yeah, and there were a lot of uh, uh, writers yeah. and artists like William Styron and James Thurber lived in my hometown and. You know, there's some really cool people, <clears throat> and you know there were more educated elites from New York. Some, in some ways, elites. But now, you go back there. If I met, you know, I don't. I can only stand it for a couple of days. But my brother still lives there, and he has oh. kids, so I go back sometimes. And there are hedge fund billionaires, sure. and then there are local people. So the gap between, I mean, and then they, they have no culture. They have no creativity. They don't know how to read. It's totally different. I mean, there were like, and there was also like people, and that a lot of the New Yorkers were just barely getting by with, like there was a filmmaker, a friend of ours, he made environmental documentaries mm -hmm. for PBS. My mom was on one of them, speaking my mom. Oh, really? I, yeah, my niece just dug up this footage of her in 73. She, My mom was really interesting. She, she led this, she was sort of the mover and shaker of this three-person thing. She was not a big ego person, but mm -hmm. it fought DDT spraying in my hometown. Oh, okay, yeah. And, you know, it was really kind of overwhelming to see this documentary from 73 talking about the campaign in the 60s. I didn't know the details of this. And it became a model for environmentalists, you know, kind of who were fighting poison spraying all over the world. And um, so anyway, that was that. And that was my fucking hometown. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a recently there was there was a documentary about uh, Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know if you saw it. No, I'd like to. What was, real... Where where was it? Uh. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you can rent it. I I must have gotten it off. Oh, is it in theaters? No, no, no. It's streaming. I I'm, I don't know if it even had a run. I mean, was it, was it on the out... dreaded Netflix or something? I could get I on my other friends' Netflix account. I guess. I don't know. I don't remember where where I watched it. Do you remember what the title was? No, but it would if you if you do a search for, you know, Vonnegut documentary in the last yeah. couple of years. It's this guy. I mean, he it he made it over like decades, and oh, wow. he sort of became his friend in the last years of his life. And oh stuff. wow! What was that filmmaker's name? I, 
it's all like I don't I don't want to take time out to look it up. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I just meant off uh, the top of your head. No, but he was this young guy uh, that was a big fan of Vonnegut and tracked him down and hounded him for like years to do this <laughs> documentary and uh, wore him down eventually, wore down his resistance and uh, became an actual friend. But it's got all this amazing footage from like because he worked on it for decades, literally decades. Wow, I got to see it. Did uh, you like it? Yeah, it was really good. It was not a standard documentary because he, you know, well, the, that's the, good. the, the, uh, Filmmaker gradually really becomes part of the story, and he ends up being becoming a filmmaker, doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he come comes and goes out of Vonnegut's life, and mm-hmm. becomes an actual friend, and he just keeps adding more and more. And uh, but one of the things, a lot, one of the continuing themes is of Vonnegut, like early on, struggling and just having these houses and a house full of like a wife and kids and stuff. And just disappearing into the study to, to work. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, could not, and the it, wife does all the work. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, of yeah, course, he, he gets successful. He gets his big break, and he <clears throat> immediately leaves her. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he, was, he was that yeah, kind of cliche, but, like, yeah. Uh, and then he wound up marrying that photographer, Jill Kremens. Is that her name? Something like that. I forget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had another whole... He had several yeah. big relationships. I mean, he, he lived a pretty long time, but he moved back to he moved back to the city, back to New York, and started yeah. this other segment of his life. But the the thing you were talking about, your dad disappearing into the study or whatever, reminded me of that. Yeah, it's like yeah. must be nice. I mean, you have to have a work at you know I yeah for various reasons I have trouble focusing on writing for more than an hour or two unless I get. But really it's also going. I mean. That's a lot more common of those eras, or whatever, yeah, that's right. Where there was a division of they life. didn't have to be on social media produ- pro- promoting themselves, which is one of the most stupid things to me about our modern world. That everything is like pretending to be communicating yeah. in this friendly fashion. It's all performative. I mean, I, it to me on social media. I mean, you can have differences of opinions. No, there's no I mean, there's no uh, getting around the, the the shilling aspect of it, you know. I mean, even you know, I I I quit all the social media 8 years mm-hmm. ago now, but I write this newsletter and there's parts in this newsletter that I know I know what I'm doing, you know, and it's still selling in a way. It's just But you have no choice either. That's the thing is that the it no. was just so in those days <laughs> I don't it have an agent. I don't have a publisher. Yeah. I, like, those are the people that used to do this shit that I'm forced to do. Yeah, know? yeah, that's right. I just can't bring myself uh, for years now to do it the way most of them do it. Well, I, I mean, is... I don't know how it's different with art or painting, but with writing, in those days there were magazines and stuff, and the cost of living was so much lower for housing and everything. And, um, and then you didn't get debt loads sending your it's to school not that you were yeah well like back to the what the Vonnegut doc like he sold a couple of stories to a mag some magazine yeah and and he could afford to feed his whole fucking family for months off off a short story you know like doing that now that speaking of fiction that's like that's 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 science fiction at this point well i could have barely (laughs) kept out of the gutter on the strength of my writing, maybe in the nineties, hmm. um, if you know, if I was more focused and shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, when there was still there was this 
surge of print magazines in San Francisco anyway in the 90s with uh, the first dot-com money. A lot of them just threw money at, had these vanity magazine projects that were sure. kind of like yeah. similar to Spy and stuff, some of them. Right. And, you know, I have friends who they got paid pretty well, you know. If you, So if you had rent control and you might have to have a little part-time this, that, or the other. But now it's just like, I mean, and the other thing that drives me crazy, and again, you know, like, you can have difference of opinion about this, but, and okay, I'm a little judgmental, but everybody's a fucking writer. So I have a very good friend who is, I've known for years, who volunteers at the soup kitchen that I used to volunteer at. And, you know, back in when I was still, thank God I'm off Facebook, but I used to be on Facebook and his thing would pop up. You know, I'd be posting a link to something I wrote because you have to get your stuff out there. And like, what does it matter if you get it out there? It's not like, you're never going to make any money from it anyway. So um, he he wrote this thing. He, he sincerely loves social media, right? So he wrote this thing that was about as wrong, long as an essay I just wrote that I put a lot of work into. Yeah. And the guy's like a history major. He's well-read. He's not, not that being college-educated makes him special. But the point is he's, you know, he's, he's well-read and whatnot. And it was about, like, wandering around San Francisco. And, you know, he had a few experiences. So it gave him a smile because of the feeling he got from an interaction. And that's fine, but... You know, that's, that's like writing on Facebook. And, and the other point was that 80 people clicked on the like button. Sure. So he had probably had more readers than I did on this thing. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, like, I'll stop there. I think I made my point. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, I'm, I've, I've got this other call coming in. It's Mark Zuckerberg. He's closing Facebook. He just, he heard what you said and he's. He's realized it's At last! It worked! Congratulations. You know what would be an interesting thing to find out about Facebook? If any of your listeners are interested in a little project, mm-hmm. that probably only involves it. You know, DuckDuckGo search. Don't use Google. Um, um, is whether or not the, uh, the uh, Nazi news site, I put use news advisedly, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nazi propaganda site, the Daily Stormer, is still on the, uh, is part of the uh, panel that Facebook uses as media advisories to screen stuff. Mm. There's, there's footage of Alexandria Octavio-Cortez grilling uh, Zuckerberg about it. And she said, are they still on this panel? You know, like, she's yeah. talking about, like, how do you screen for hate speech? How do you disinformation, Nazi shit? And he he just, like, equivocated, but he basically admitted they are. So, uh-huh. to me, once I heard that, I was like, you fucking scumbag. <laughs> but you go on all day about what a scumbag that guy is. So yesterday, this, this is something I found hilarious. Yesterday, I went to, to the my local downtown Chicago Cinematheque and to see uh, Belatar's Satan Tango, which is a seven hour and 20 minute movie. <laughs> you you a guest. No, but before that sold out, like there's, there's enough film dorks that wanted to sit in a movie theater and do this it was, it was very heartening. But before <laughs> this, like one of these children that work there that staff this place 
asked us if from the stage if we minded that she, you know, would take us take a picture of the crowd to post on Facebook. It's like, because, yes, uh, be, yeah, because we yeah, we got to make sure Mark Zuckerberg doesn't run out of you know sweatshirts, <laughs> you know, that stock. Yeah, stock really concerned about him, yeah. yeah. But like th- to take a picture of a, a crowd of people doing doing a thing that was the polar opposite of anything that's promoted on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's all pervasive. Did uh, you see? Did you find? Did you finally watch that thing that was on Criterion by that young black filmmaker that was oh that a, eight, a day in a factory or something? No, no, I I didn't watch. That it. was eight hours, wasn't it? It was yeah, it's pretty long. Yeah, I love the interview with him, and he was talking about it. He was he he was really funny and seemed yeah. really cool. But I mean, I just like have spent. So much of my life in dark rooms looking at movies that afterwards were like, oh, that's interesting, but that was a big chunk of my life. So after, uh, you said you took a year off after you, gra- you graduated from Belmont High School? Yeah. And w- w- what were you doing when you were taking your year off? <clears throat> uh, <laughs> did a lot of deep introspection, washing dishes. I, Peace Corps? As I recall... Peace... Peace Corps, right? Or, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, kind of. It was actually washing dishes at the Landmark Inn in Faneuil Hall. It was kind of like the Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> and did you take off, uh, I mean, did you take off a year just because, like, you were like, fuck college, I'm just going to, whatever. Well, I thought what, I was probably going to go to college, but I wanted oh, to did. think about it, and I was just sort of, and I did, you know, I actually have a different take on higher learning than you do probably but i mean i went to i wound up going to universe umass yeah which in those days you could get in-state tuition sure so to me it's it'd be a different thing now i mean i wouldn't want to be in debt for the rest of my rest of my life yeah. you know but it, it was a liberal arts education and they had i mean there were good things about it in terms of culture because they subsidized all this music and film and mm-hmm. They had art galleries and theater and all this shit. It was just, it's so cheap and uh, a lot of it free. I mean, Max Roach taught there, Archie Shep taught there. So all these New York jazz players came up and played for free or cheap. All the, I saw Dizzy Gillespie like four times. And what, what were you, st- what was your major? U.S. history. U.S. history? Oh, okay. Actually, I put off getting a major as long as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went in, what, me and my oldest friend there met in what we called freshman alienation, which ah. was before it opened. They brought you together and they had played these, you know, intolerable games where you're supposed to get to know your neighbor and oh, yeah, this yeah. kindergarten. But they always said, like, you don't have to know your major for the first year. Mm-hmm. First two years, I think. Yeah. So people, you'd meet people, you know, at a bar, which is like, where I spent a lot of time, or wherever, and they'd say, what's your major? And I'd say, uh, you don't have to choose a major for two years. And they're like, yeah, 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 so what's your major? <laughs> but I wound up taking a lot of, it was a really good history department. I, I wanted to take English, I thought, initially, but, because mm-hmm. I like to read novels, too, not just history. And um, the the students, more than the teachers, were just insufferable. Uh, so... Oh, really? And I, I, you know, the idea of taking apart uh, a novel and analyzing what the themes are and what the sub 
text is and stuff in a classroom setting did not appeal to me. So, I mean, it turns out I could read on my own without, you know, having a, 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 a classroom setting. Congratulations. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and what, uh, I mean, I appreciate that. So after you graduated, did you have, do you have any ideas of like, of like trying to find some sort of career connected to the <laughs> things you studied well, or I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. I, um, I, well, it's laughable now, but like, like if you could remember back to that, like, what was yeah, actually, uh, so I really like getting lost in the stacks and reading, you know, endless back issues of IF Stones Weekly and that kind of shit. But I didn't want to teach, and mm -hmm. decades later, I wind up wound up teaching ESL and realized I was right. Um, but that's another story that, um, but, um, yeah, I didn't want to teach and, um, it's kind of like being a historian was appealing in some ways, but I was also lazy and I just wanted to fuck around for a while. And so, um, the answer to your question, I guess would be no. I mean, the, I, I did have an urge to, uh, do something like journalism which i've done a little bit you know over the years so you uh, graduated uh when did uh you graduated 83 i got the diploma holder in 83 <laughs> my my an old college chum that i'm still in touch with a lot a good friend of mine nick flynn who became yeah. a fairly well-known poet uh yeah he also he had the same experience he had all these incompletes mm. <laughs> we got yeah. the diploma at this uh big you know, big celebration and yeah. everything and with a cap and gun and all that bullshit. And then both of us went, didn't go back. You know, we had similarly blurry 1980s years and we both went back in like 89 and said, okay, I'm just going to finally take care of these. And the same spring or fall or whatever, we were told this is the last uh, semester you could do this if you waited another semester you wouldn't be able to get your diploma without oh going you went back to course. school in 89 well i just oh, did a few classes oh, okay, at, just a few. you know oh, okay. umass boston while i was oh. working some ridiculous job i wound up my mom was really excited being sarcastic here uh when i graduated and i got i was a security job guard for a long time and i would get places where i could just read all night like what, like overnight kind of? like where Yeah, it, and I, they would be like at a condo complex in mm -hmm. Brighton. Yeah. Or sometimes during the day. I had one at, uh, remember, uh, Copley Plaza in yeah. Copley Square? Yeah, it was there. And I came, I remember coming from seeing Bowie and being really fucking high on hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have cell phones, so I just but I showed up an hour late, and they're like, "No problem, you got stuck in traffic," and I had to wear this uniform and stand and not talk to anybody in the middle of this high end shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, that was a fun way to spend the end of my and you were tripping so, evening. Actually, I, it was kind of fun. I just couldn't stop laughing. So after you graduated, did you move? Did you live with your mom again? for a time or did you get your own uh, place between in i did uh no very briefly very and then good. i got i lived all over boston first i think alston and then 
I lived in the north end. I almost lived in Dorchester. I kind of wish I had Fields Corner. I, I don't even know why I said that. It's, it would have been interesting scene down there, but I wound up, you know, driving through there a lot when I drove cab, so I, it's not like I missed out on anything. And then I lived in my fa in Somerville. My favorite place was, you know, when I lived with Jack Stevenson, you know that you were in that apartment. It was yes. essentially kind of a... That was in Cambridge, know, right? Fairly punk rock apartment. Yeah, Central Square. Yeah. It was before their rent control was destroyed in Massachusetts by a statewide initiative that was totally uh, gamed by big real estate money. Yeah, uh, in terms of the PR was that, blip. Was that the place you were living in where, where you were driving around the scalper? Like you had that uh, job, Yeah, 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 yeah. You were driving yeah. around some scout, uh, like a old school scalper? Please. Kind of... He was a ticket broker. Uh, yeah. He had a broker's license. <laughs> oh, but you're right. He was a scalper, yeah. <laughs> Which was after. So by then you had quit the cab, right? Or... Yeah, I've been fired, actually. Oh, okay. So how long? So you, ha you had jobs like at the Copley, like the... That was before driving. Cab security guard. and how security did, guard was before driving. How cab. did you graduate from security guard to cab driver? How did I climb that ladder? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had friends who drove for what, red cab. What, what a adult of extension course did you have to take <laughs> for that to happen? It was more like not adult. It was more adult. D O L T. Yeah, yeah adult. Adult yeah, yeah. extension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had friends who drove for red cab, and it just seemed appealing for the same reasons you drove cab. But I, you know, I gotta say, I feel guilty when you talk about your cab experience because I drove commission, mm -hmm. so yeah. I never did the lease thing where I had to that was take a, it because out. it was not available to me. Yeah. I know, I know, uh, I got rid of it. I mean, there were some old timers the... <clears throat> still left doing it, yeah. uh, but because I started in 1993 in Boston, but I yeah, I, it was that was not an option that was not that was available to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah the the owners love leasing, as you know, of course. and they. Yeah. But, you know, I would talk to people who were going over to leasing, and they would talk about how much money they'd made. But to me, they were just delusional because they were, they didn't factor in everything. Well, I just, mean, it's kind of, it's it's kind of a, a human thing. You try yeah, to yeah. make everything seem really great, you know, like, uh, and, you know, I'm doing so well. You know, like, you're not doing well. It's not like you're a bad person. Just be honest about it. Look at the money and... And so, well, I, I, I mean, think... some of them were bad people because it was Boston. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but so, yeah, if it was, I was splitting what was on the meter and I would put up early and I wouldn't keep losing money if it was dead. And Right. And I would never, I never drove for more. I, sometimes I drove for like 11 hours, but never more than that. And usually not even that, you know. <laughs> I, I hardly ever I drove less than 12 yeah there you go i mean yeah. i just i couldn't do it I mean, yeah uh how long did how long did you drive for four years four years yeah and and then finally they threatened to when... fire me earlier when they finally fired me he was ready for me to quasi beg for my job back because i did that once and mm. i hadn't come in for to work for a week and at that point i was so sick of it i i practically threw my arms around him i was so happy to be out of there <laughs> And then in short order, this guy, Freddie, who was a kind of, you know, legitimized ticket scalper, it was in this gray area. You know, he sold blocks of tickets sure. to corporate. It was mostly his customers were mostly corporate. He wasn't like the junkies on the street near 
Boston Gardens yeah. who were scalping, you know. Um, but but I was he was it was a easy, a good job for somebody who was paying one hundred twenty five a month in rent, you know, because he paid yeah. like two fifty a week, but it was in cash and it was part time and. He was decent. He'd always like he let me have the car overnight and shit. And but yeah, when I first met you, you were still driving. You were driving a cab. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure because I got... it was probably like uh, I think which you still... call it eighty eighty seven or eighty eight. When did how right... old were you when you met me? Yeah, right around eighty seven or eighty eight. Yeah, somewhere yeah. right in there. That's when I started at the Coolidge, and you were friends with the people like Harry that worked there. The Harrys. The Harrys and uh, <laughs> Dave Bryant and uh, all those other kind of like art school grad, you know, recent, fairly yeah. recent art school people. Do you remember Kathy Morris? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, 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 so, I missed I, her. Yeah, I have a bunch of stuff from her. You know, I like, wish I still, you know, like I got rid of cards. some of it. I wish I had. She's been I to making these like collage cards and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, she I, was I have hilarious. some of that stuff. Yeah. When yeah, I, I went to her, but did you go to her memorial? At the no, time? no, I was long gone from Boston by then. Yeah, I think you uh, yeah. were in Chicago, maybe. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, her her partner had all this art. She said, "If you want to get some," and I wanted to do it, and then, but. I was so fucked up by that. Yeah. It was kind of a, it was a, you know, I've been, unfortunately I've been to a lot of memorials slash funerals, but. Sure. It was really kind of great because she was such a cool, interesting, hilarious person. And so there's so many people who came out for her, but her favorite movie was Spinal Tap. Do you remember this? Did you know this? I don't remember that. So we had the time, I mean, about the event itself. We had Sunday at 11 or something mm-hmm. we had the balk the upstairs theater yeah. the balcony was a separate theater do you remember what year this and, was and they she screened pa- spinal did, tap yeah. and then they had the memorial afterwards I'm what sorry, year did ahead. she pass do you remember no i wish i could eight i'd say 84 or five ish six no 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 oh no it was sorry you're right sorry i worked it was with after her. i there's moved a, out here there's it was no like way it was in the 90s yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah, there's no way in the 90s yeah. I yeah. remember I saw. Do you remember Lynn Toland? Yeah, she drove yeah. a red cab briefly. Yeah, I worked. I mean, I worked with her too. I yeah, worked yeah, with yeah. Lynn as well. Yeah, Those we got together. Like... She was there, and she said, "Oh my God, we're so old." Because yeah. we were like pushing yeah. forty or so. No, I guess we were. I don't know. Whatever. Sure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you yeah, I, I think it was in the '90s. Uh, I mean, I may have even been back to Chicago for good. Uh, but she I went be- to Lynn went to art school too, right? She was that yeah. mass art. Yeah. yeah, she was an I think she was like a filmmaker or something. Yeah, that's she right. A, she, she made was a film. filmmaker, yeah. I love the film scene at Lat Mass Art. Did you go to any film shows there? I I'm sure I did, but well then I worked later with uh Karen Schmier who ended up being an editor for uh Errol Morris and she got run over by a car. Oh she brutal. died tragically young. Yeah, but she worked there at the Coolidge uh, later, uh, a little bit later in my because I, I after I, I graduated from the Art Institute and moved back to Chicago mm. uh, and brief like I would fill in there or like mm. I would fill in there in the summers from oh right 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 back, I did that at Harvard Square Theater like in, in the early nineties and yeah, she, yeah, was, yeah. she was there then. What's her name? Oh, oh, you're talking about Lynn. Sorry, I got spaced. Lynn was earlier. No, this uh, woman, Karen Schmier, who died 
she just like got run over on her bike or something. She oh, some so horrible or like crossing the street. Oh, she was Errol Morris's editor for like a few movies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so there, yeah, there was all these people that went on to do stuff. Uh, I do mean, you, I just do you remember that guy Mark Moran? What's his name? The comedian that whose show you were on? Were you on a show? Uh, Mark Mark Marin. Marin. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I've I've never been on Marin's show. He was. A... Oh. No, it was Hodgman. Who Hodgman was on, was on Marin's yeah. show. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. You, you Is know Hodgman that... more famous than you, though? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 know, I know it's hard to believe. He's bigger. You know, actually, he's better known than Namaste Motherfucker by now. No. Well, let, let, let's not go crazy. You know what's crazy? There's some very weird, uh, not coincidences, what are they called, but with Mark Marin, Mark Marin worked at Edibles. Yeah. Like uh, years, several years before me, but you know because. Oh, I didn't know you were when you worked there in high school or something. Yeah, right before the Coolidge, I worked at Edibles. Uh, but but Marin's seven years. Do you old, remember old. him? Who? Do you remember Marin? No, 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 because he was there before. From me. seeing him there, I mean, I know you didn't work there at the same time. No. Because uh, Hodgman, I heard that interview with Hodgman, and he yeah. said, "Yeah, I remember you as the angry guy at Edibles." <laughs> <coughs> anyway yeah uh i i don't remember Marin from from uh, from boston at all uh no yeah 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 uh but yeah i mean he spent a, a bunch of time there you know he went to college there and stuff before did he know i wonder if he knew david cross who was at emerson right oh yeah they were best they i think they may have even lived together at a certain point yeah oh that's yeah. right yeah. he was on Marin's show too i i oh, used yeah. to subscribe to Marin's. Thing, but then it was just I paid, oh, and really? then I would get on. It was like ten minutes of him doing advertisements first. I mean, I don't begrudge him, but like, why do you have like, do you have to have, if for paid subscribers? Can you skip the ads? Oh, I've it, yeah, I've ne I've never paid subscribe to his. Uh, I've tried paid subscribing to a few, but dropped them after a time. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's how he. I think he makes most of his living that way. Those, Which is fine. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not... not he, I mean, he's thing, like but... a pioneer of the whole podcast thing. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes To sense. really do it early. seriously, like it, like where it wasn't just a fad. Uh, that yeah, it was yeah, an yeah. actual yeah. way of making a living. But Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, I mean, there were a lot of interesting people passed through that place, that, that, that the Coolidge. Uh, and, uh, but... Yeah, so we we would have met yeah in eighty seven or eighty eight. Yeah. And so so you got fired from the cab very soon after that. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they... no, I got eighty nine. It was when I met my first wife. I uh, um, I wanted we wound up okay. Full disclosure, we shacked up for a week, and I didn't go into work. Yeah. And um. Oh. And so then they cat they canned my ass. So it's all like, Claire's or, fault that you got canned. Pretty much, cab. yeah, yeah. That's why. <laughs> I remember. Or I know. I mean, it's, I yeah, should be singing her praises yeah, for yeah. that one. She did you a favor, uh, but yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, I remember fairly soon. No, actually, I don't think I ever knew uh, Snyder as a drinker. He had just. Quit. Oh wow! Oh, so you know what? Then he, he, he was to... sober. Yeah, that was he quit drinking in 88 because he yeah, was sober yeah. a year before i was yeah but you no, but that that's what i was about to say is that he was sober and you weren't and there was like i mean that was could you tell i was drinking 
<laughs> just kidding <laughs> yeah you know there are people who say like oh yeah nobody knew i was drinking like what <laughs> how'd you do that but you would yeah, to- alien to my approach but yeah you would have stopped very soon after i i met yeah right yeah, yeah. 80 april 89 oh, okay yeah i mean that was uh, that was all that was interesting to me as, you know, as a high school age person to, to watch that, what people, you know, a little bit older than me were going through kind of thing. I mean, that was oh. also the first first place I met, like somebody with AIDS, for instance, you know, like. Oh, Ken, Ken, yeah, the yeah. projectionist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Uh huh. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, so it was definitely, I probably learned more at that place than at brookline high school you know my version of belmont high school yeah yeah, yeah, high yeah school, right. which where i was incredibly miserable at you know yeah i hated did school. not have a happy experience uh, yeah you did a good job of uh conveying that in uh soviet stamps right you know my, my fun-filled years at, at, at brookline high school yeah <laughs> didn't sound like a hoot you know my my best period in high school was this one I went away to summer camp from the time I was 11 to 14 in this one place because I had asthma uh, up in the pine woods in New Hampshire. And then when I was 15, I went to this co-ed Quaker kind of lefty hippie camp run by lefty hippies. And, um, and they actually had skinny, it was co-ed and there was skinny dipping in the lake, which I was too young and shy to really <clears throat> take advantage of but um um i met the people i met there this was back when i was in connecticut in the 75 the people i met there were so cool and co- and from mostly from new york city and other places but that the rest of high school sucked but that they were my best friends all the way through high school it ended and i had to go back to high school i was like really oh my god yeah i mean i made uh the only high school, like the friends I made in the high school years that stuck at all were Coolidge connected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah I did not. Well, Hodgman and, and Morgan and. Uh... Yeah, I mean some of those. Yeah, they they were gone pretty quickly. But I just did uh, recorded one of these with uh, Jason Sanford. Do you remember him? He he Tell went to high him. he went to high school with me, but then. He was also, he was like an artist and a musician. He still is. Uh, uh-huh. uh, he plays at, he now currently plays in a band with Talia Zedek. Called, oh, what? Yeah, really? this this band called Just the Letter E. He must be about, about 10 years younger than her, right? Oh, uh, he's my age. I mean, yeah. 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 Uh, but back to what he did, he didn't work with uh, me at the Coolidge. He came back from, he went to college. I think he went to Amherst as well. Yeah. Moved back to Boston, started working at the Coolidge, and he he was welding and like soldering these in, uh, musical instruments like made out of <laughs> scrap metal. Wow. And he started. What a, years were that? What year was that? Would it be? Uh, uh, early nineties. Yeah, uh, it's probably early, gone by then. Uh, because I I left. Yeah. I moved to San Francisco in January '92. I was going to ask, so it was not, okay, yeah. And th- those were the years that I was gone in art school in Chicago. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, left, yeah. you left when I was in Chicago. Uh, and I yeah, it was the best move, best move I ever made aside from quitting drugs and alcohol. 
<laughs> no, but he. <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap up the the Jason Sanford thing quick. But he m- made these instruments and then decided to make a band. Like, it was just supposed to be an art project, but it became a band called Neptune, which still sort of exists. Huh. Uh, but then he also plays in the in a band uh, with Talia. Was he into that that guy Harry Parch from the mid twentieth century? Do you remember that avant garde composer? He I know who that, that is. Uh, I I do yeah. not know because I don't know. We 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 were recording Didn't a conversation for over two hours that did not come up. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, I never know how these things will go. It all yeah, just depends yeah, yeah, on what, yeah. what people want to talk about. But so what uh, what inspired the the move to San Francisco? How did you choose San Francisco? <clears throat> well. Uh, my uh the ticket broker job was that like there was not no upward mobility in that in that line of work no i realized i couldn't take over that industry and i was very crestfallen uh, you no, uh the, the king of like resale my my uh market <laughs> my significant other at the time claire uh yeah got work for you know okay. corporate america and they paid for her to move to san francisco Oh, I see. And they also paid for, even though we weren't married or anything, they paid for me to move, and they shipped all my stuff out. And when I it was, I was just telling somebody the other day, it was yeah, when I first came out here. Corporate America used to be great. Wow. Yeah, they um they um, and that she wound up with good benefits when she wound up having to take disability. But yeah. anyway, she had to do that over time. She had to stick to it because her health was shitty, and she needed yeah. really good health care. But they, you know, when I moved to San Francisco, it was on the understanding, because I knew a zillion, I mean, there's still good cultural things in Boston, and there are good people anywhere, I knew a bunch of people who I really liked and friends with, and, you know, and, and then my family was pretty much in the East, but, um, but, so I knew nobody in San Francisco, I said, we're going to give it, like, three months, and then I'll see, Mm. I was out here for under a week, I said, I'm never moving back to Boston. Well, what, what? What did that? Just the well, I lived in the movie what used to be a black neighborhood, yeah. uh, Western Edition, which used to be called the Fillmore. It was on this Alamo Square, which is I don't know, famous tourist thing for the architecture. But um, it was fifteen minutes from the Red Vic Movie House walk, and even shorter walk to the Castro Theater, which is a movie palace, you know. Yeah. And then it was a half hour walk to the Roxy Theater. And more importantly, it wasn't Boston. So I'm walking around and people are nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, black people don't look like they hate white people be for very good reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> Boston is so fucking racist. And, and people, you know, it's on the edge of the Castro. So people are gay or out, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, I my best friend at the cab company was gay, and he was only out to me. It, oh, yeah. You know, Boston is not an easy place to be gay in either. No, although I mean, from driving a cab there, I it was it's amazing to watch like the late night, the areas that you know where the cruising, like the Fenway, the Fenway, the cruising spot, Copley Square. Oh Cop, yeah, Copley Square, oh, yeah. just just off of like the main square overnight became like this known cruising zone. I knew that because I took people in the cab to to circle a block a couple of times, you know, (laughs) which is how you, you know, this and and but that, you know, not being gay, there's this whole language of like looks and gestures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole fucking language. 
that they knew and I didn't and yeah I would take these well guys. it came out, and it came out of from years of yeah because they had because it had to be that or, way yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah but yeah I would pick up some guys uh, wherever he probably lived like in the south end say and yeah, I would yeah. take him to Copley Square and circle this one <laughs> block and he would find the guy uh, and the guy would go back and I would take him back home that was the entire ride Huh, I never did yeah. that. I had regular yeah. customers I took to leather bars and stuff. There, In fact, there was a guy who picked up some rough trade and got, you know, he was into asphyxiation and the guy killed him. Well, there's also Accidentally that, or not. There was that one bar that was, it was a drag bar, but also had punk bands. Jocks. Jocks, right. Oh, I love that place. Yeah, never, you know, I never went to see a show there, but I would take I didn't know they had bands. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, Jocks had, like, weird, like, art artsy punk bands. Wow, know? I didn't know aside, that. Aside from the the drag stuff, yeah. Why didn't I know that? Yeah, and it was in that weird, like, little, like, it was like a little uh, uh, area, like a... Wasn't it like, it was, it was like a, a pro- pocket neighborhood, like, that was kind of hidden. Yeah, it was, a, it was across called. the alley in back of uh, Cinema 57. Yeah. So me and my friends Colleen and Clancy went to see a Freddy Krueger movie at Cinema 57, mm. which is not, you yeah. know, not yeah. just violent, but the set, des- you know, the set and the colors and everything, set design and the mm-hmm. cinematography is so lurid and bright and psychedelic. And we went out of there and went to Jacques and it was like a continuation of the movie. It was yeah. fucking great. <laughs> it was. I, I remember going in there a few times where there would be an MC that immediately started making fun of me for being the only straight person in there, which I loved. You know, right? My friend Larry Tully used to. He was a queer punk guy. He used to take me in there. So how long? Uh, so so you immediately knew you uh, San Francisco was the place for you. How long? Uh, yep. And how long did you and Claire last after? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, wasn't that nineteen eighty? That was, uh, so yeah. Your listeners don't want to hear all that shit. But yeah, it went on until like we finally yeah. separated in nineteen ninety nine. It was very complicated because her health was awful. Yeah, right. So, uh, so it that's was another not s- working six seven right. years, huh? That's yeah. That'll be that'll be all in my tell all memoir, which will be really interesting. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna have a, a discount. Pre-sale codes available <laughs> yeah. in the in the show notes, as they say. That's excellent. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and then I mean, you had a, a variety of interest jobs and stuff. And yeah, I think jobs is better than interesting jobs. You cut the interesting part out. Sure. I'll, I'll... Well, no, I worked as a temp, and then I I actually had some driving jobs out here. I drove for a oh, blood lab for a mm. while. And uh, mysteriously, they fired me. I did something. I fucked up something that a lot of people fucked up. And it's a mysterious coincidence that I'd just been talking to people about possibilities of starting a union. Uh, <laughs> and I got fired. I couldn't figure that out. Like, could that be? Could it connect it? I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I did. A, I actually got funded to do it human rights campaign, solidarity campaign with uh, East, working with the East Timor Action Network, which was, mm. you know, to change U.S. foreign policy um, towards Indonesia, specifically the Indonesian military, which mm. invaded this little country and was slaughtering its population, East Timor, and 
the U.S. had supported the invasion, yeah. of course. How did how yeah. did you get involved in that specifically? Uh, that I saw I saw the Noam Chomsky documentary uh, "Manufacturing Consent" at the mm. Castro Theater, and there was an intermission right after the section on East Timor, and I came out, and these people who became my friends had a table. And they were signing people up. I was like, oh, fuck, I guess I got to sign this. <laughs> and then they uh, contacted me, and I was like, oh, fuck, I better go to a meeting. And they're really nice people. And it was, it was, that was a very good experience. I mean, I, I have made friends for life from that yeah. group of people. And, I mean, do, do you ever see yourself ever leaving San Francisco? Is that, or is this it? Is this the uh, place? You know, I've been complaining since around 2003-ish about how every year tech money was fucking up San Francisco mm -hmm. more and more. Yeah. You know, people being forced out uh, who didn't have much money, the culture getting watered down and destroyed and everything I like. And then in 2016, all of a sudden it looked better mm -hmm. because I have friends who are in Trumper country and I hate to use that, yeah. refer to that person, but... um. Yeah, so all of a sudden it looked a lot. And during the pandemic, people weren't like beating people up for wearing masks out here. So, but I I feel like it's sort of like Fran Lebowitz to refer to that great person again. Um, says about New York, I can't imagine any other place would take me. But it's also New York and San Francisco are the only places I, I can envision living in. And like you said about leaving Chicago once, um, you know and I'm 10 years older than you, um, I, I just, n n I can't imagine at my age starting over somewhere else. Yeah, that's no... a, yeah, the prospect yeah, of starting that. over. I just yeah. can't do that. Yeah, you've put in, so you've now put in like 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. the home, uh, like the, the last time I was in San Francisco was to read at the Green Arcade. Like yeah, a, yeah. a year ago or whatever, uh, yeah. a little more than a year ago. Um, yeah, I was pretty fucking flabbergasted by the just just the amount of people on the street all over. Yeah, the it's place. very dystopian, and I mean, also it's, it's like a medieval fucking with that walled city. You know these these the Walking Dead, the Walking ride. Dead, and then like these empty high rises waiting. I Waiting for people that will never move there because they figured out because of lockdown that they can just do their fucking jobs wherever they already live. And I think Why would a they lot need of to it is. There? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the economics is <laughs> mysterious to me, but yeah. you know, global capitalism doesn't make sense. But a lot of it, I think, is billionaires needing to par from all over the world, you know, whose money comes from every manner of nefarious activity, needing to park their billions. Right. And it's all speculation. And also people think that things will just get more prosperous. All the, Nobody ever thinks the next crash is going to happen. Yeah. You know, so, but it's crazy. You know, there's uh, my employer at the Grand Arcade, Patrick, saw uh, Skyrise. I think it said, be above it all. You know, the big ad in front of it. And in front of it, there are people, you know, essentially dying on the street. Yeah. And people just walk by. And he, I mean, I do it too. You walk by these people like crashed yeah. on fentanyl who could also be bleeding to death for all I know. Sure. And it's just everywhere. And then these assholes like walking around conducting business meetings, talking about 10 times as loud as I am talking right yeah. now into their stupid hands freeze about their teams and their yeah, new yeah. apps and 
God knows what all else. You know, they're just like, and and they they don't give a fuck. And so, except they want to clean up the city. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what are you gonna like kill everybody who's on the street? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you. You got to see the Salesforce dystopian. Uh, uh, what do you call that theme park with the trees on the? Oh, I've I've been there. Yeah, you wrote. I like that thing you wrote about it in your newsletter. Yeah, yeah, because Deborah took me there to that park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. to see it. Uh, I, I figured I'd go up once, and my friends were like, "See, it's pretty nice." And I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty nice if you don't think it definitely about had everything that connected kind of, to uh, it. future world kind of." Yeah, yeah, vibe exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, they just actually Salesforce just got in trouble here. They they I think they built a skyscraper in Chicago, Did and they? they're. The sign at the top of it was so bright that, like, people that live downtown complained. And they made them turn it down. Like, yeah, it's mysterious. It was like, it was, it was like a fucking, money. like a fucking bat signal. Apparently, uh, I don't live downtown, so I didn't see it. But I guess, uh, and their thing seems to be their product seems to be like a glorified Excel spreadsheet for my. Oh, it is. I mean, I not that I bothered yeah. to figure it out or anything, but but yeah. you know, there's a really good book. Um, by a New York Times business writer, amazingly called Davos Man, where he goes after he takes he spent a lot of time well, going to he, Davos. It's like a it's an, like another step in evolution or devolution. Davos Man is like this new kind yeah, of yeah kind of human or yeah this new, guy new Peter Goodman he he interviewed all these people Sapien. and he went to Davos. <laughs> but yeah. he really he goes after all of them and unlike what the New York Times would do. He doesn't cut them any slack at all. So Benioff, the Salesforce guy, uh-huh. who is always touted at, or frequently touted as this guy who gives back, supports uh-huh. some shit, he doesn't cut him any slack at all. He said, you know, that's not even a rounding error mm-hmm. for the amount of money he's made from not paying taxes. And yeah. Benioff actually said at Davos, what, in 2021 or 2020, Mm-hmm. about the pandemic you know the tech titans are the real heroes of the pandemic sure <laughs> what an asshole well oh, it's yeah, yeah it's he, like, i'm sure he believes it it's sort of like that. it's like our generate or like our times like equivalent of let them eat cake right yeah oh totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. well that's there's also there's another phrase from that era that comes to mind which is off with their heads yeah <laughs> On that cheery note, let's let's cut this off and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I am going to uh, let's see. Uh, cut out all the good parts when you po- before you post it. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll 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 get my my legion of underlings, unpaid interns to to get right on that. <laughs> did you know before I before I go? Did you know the Baffler magazine has a little thing in the beginning of each issue under the masthead? It says. No interns were used in the production of this magazine. Oh, that's sweet. I know. Well, yeah. It's... Thank, thanks for, thanks for doing this, Ben. And uh, yeah, let. No, it's great. Thank you. Ha- yeah, hang out for just a second, okay? Yeah, yeah, sure.